0: Welcome to the tech sales show where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. Hey, Hey Bobby. What's up, Brian? Well, we are on series 10. This is all about the future of tech sales. So whether you're in the position to be looking for a new role, or you just want to become more educated about what companies are out there in the marketplace, this is the series for you. So if you listen to last week's episode that was all about publicly traded companies, these are companies that you anyone could go out into the marketplace and invest in. There's obviously a lot of information about these companies because they are publicly traded. They've got to release quite a bit of information uh, about themselves. Uh, these privately traded companies are a bit more, I don't know, Bobby, quiet is probably the best way to put it. So sure. today we're going to talk about it from a couple levels uh one is what are the merits opportunities risks of working for a private company and then we're going to go through a list in eight of these so this is a list of 25 companies we're not going to talk about all 25 of course but eight of these companies have kind of a a b2b focus so um when we think of uh, companies that would be interesting to work for obviously um, you want to work for a company that is selling to other businesses obviously the contract sizes and the market opportunities are going to be much greater. So what we've done is kind of
1: narrowed the list to eight of these companies. Meaning all of you listening who are in tech sales or want to be in tech sales might want to explore a role in these companies uh, to have a nice commission check one day, for sure. Indeed. And if
0: you don't want to change where you're working for, it's just great to know what, I mean, a lot of these were new to me. I'd say uh, 25% of this list I'd never heard of. uh, So we had to do a bit of research on our own
1: ahead of this series. And something that's new to all of you guys is something we're excited to tell you about and what you can learn more tech stuff on and make real money with Pigeon TV. That is P-I-J-N dot TV. Love it.
0: Subscribers to Pigeon TV are entered, entered into a weekly raffle for thousands of dollars in prize money.
1: So, Bobby, why don't you tell the listeners how it works? Pigeon TV delivers short video content on a weekly basis that explains the insights behind a relevant emerging tech company. We love what one time guest and friend Phil Wilhelm and Pigeon TV are doing, and they are making it even better for Tech Shell Show listeners today. So, what you do is go to pigeon.tv, again, that's P I J
0: N.tv, subscribe, and enter TSS in the promo code. This literally takes 30 seconds to do. If you do this, and because you're a TechCell Show listener, you'll automatically get double the number of entries in their weekly prize raffles for February and March.
1: And they just decided to give January away as well, and like Brian said, it's only 30 seconds, and this this week, starting on January 14th, today, as you're listening to this episode, they're giving away $1,111.11 for their first giveaway. Pigeon TV is the insight you need regarding emerging tech companies along with the prize money you deserve. It's cool stuff. It really is.
0: Um, Bobby and I have, have both subscribed to this and um, and listened to the first uh, video that they've done. It's clear. It's concise. It gets right down to the point. Everybody should go out and do this. So uh, thanks very much to Pigeon TV and uh, everyone go subscribe today. So let's jump into it, Bobby. We're talking about privately traded companies uh, the merits opportunities risks of working for a privately traded company so what it means to be p- privately traded doesn't mean they don't have uh, capital outside of the founders in fact i'd say every one of the companies on this list has received some sort of series a or much bigger than that uh, round of funding for them uh, but you're working for a company that isn't as regulated as a normal publicly traded company um, so they can t- they tend to move quicker they don't have to worry about quarterly earnings reports as much. If 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 you do, and many of us do work for publicly traded companies, you know what it means to Wall Street for your quarterly earnings, your annual reports. Most of the time, for a, a smaller privately traded company, they don't—they're not as beholden to shareholders. Would you say, Bobby? That's a accurate statement.
1: I would agree. I mean, we both have worked for and own part of small private companies, and. I would say quarterly results were still very important. Anybody who says it's not is crazy. But I would say there's definitely a longer game view. We're we're looking at a a table that says this is our goals for the year, two year, three year, five year outlook. We had a 10 and 10 goal uh, at Sparkhound. We wanted to be in 10 cities in 10 years. Um, you, you have to have those big bold bets of what you're shooting for to give everybody a little bit of direction. But you're definitely not you're definitely probably willing and trying even to to see a, a, a negative number get smaller in those early days at a private company, um, which means you might be willing to grow a sales force, you might be willing to create some incentives to get new customers um, on, on quote-unquote loser deals, right? So they could be really fun and exciting to work for because of that uh, race to market, but it could also be a little stressful too. If, if It was very different for me Personally, to go from working for Microsoft, picking up the phone, and calling a customer, and saying, "Hey, I'm Bobby Doss from Microsoft," to "I'm Bobby Doss from Sparkhound," it was there's a big difference in name recognition and and the newness of a of a company coming into market like Sparkhound did. But um, if you have a brand, that brand will help you as well. Your personal brand, I should say.
0: And and, and probably the, one of the. I don't know, it's got to be on the list of the top three reasons companies don't immediately go public or, or wait some time to go public is that they see the, their company worth more than the external market would, would. so no, they, they obviously have some sort of insight as to what the company could be, and before you open yourself up to be publicly traded, you want to you wanna capitalize on that growth before you open yourself up to that kind of public scrutiny and, and valuation, basically.
1: Well, if there's a lot of new people, which I assume there is, listening to our podcast and maybe just, just uh, different ages in their careers, right, uh, you can think of your own personal net worth. You know, you, you might be buying a home and that home not have a lot of equity in it yet, but that's very much like a business. The, the business needs to grow its equity footprint for a while. Uh, the number of customers it has, the number of recurring contracts that it has. The founders are looking at that 10-year value. And they're hoping to get closer to that point before they go public. Maybe it's not 10 years, but they're looking for that the base to grow significantly, the run rate to grow significantly, because it's going to increase their multipliers. We talked about multipliers on the last episode about public companies. That's crystal clear. Those businesses that are in business and have that level of scrutiny. But the founders are looking for those private companies to be able to tell that story as well to future investors and to a potential IPO. Indeed. And let's talk about why this would be interesting for
0: you as a seller. Bobby, you mentioned when you left Microsoft to go work for a small privately held company, um, you're you're taking a risk, right? And there's an opportunity for that risk. And while our situation was different when we left Microsoft to go with Sparkhound, oftentimes if you go to work for one of these companies, there could be stock options, stock grants. Just like there would be for a publicly traded companies, but again, like we talked about from a valuation standpoint, you could be earning equity in a company that is uh, valued still much lower than what it would be in five years. Whereas, you know, pick a company like
1: let's just know, talk like about a, Dell for a second. If you think sure. about if you think about Dell and living in Texas, and and there's been a lot of Dellionaires uh, in 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 market for sure. And I'm I'm work for Dell, and I'm definitely not a Dellionaire. But it's about timing. And so people that were early on at Dell got, got pre-public stock offerings uh, of some form or another. They worked at Dell for 20 plus years and from 90 to 2000 was a pretty good time in the IT markets. And they sold billions of dollars worth of laptops. And those people, those, those 25 cent stock options turned into things that are now today as Dell's back public are worth forty eight dollars a share right now. So, yeah, I
0: mean, and that's no exaggeration. I mean, we look at look at what a share of Amazon was in what ninety nine. Look at what a share what of today. Amazon was two years ago.
1: But yeah. Two years ago, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh-huh.
0: So it's no exaggeration. That's that. But but what could that's the positive side. Of course, the negative side is you hear about it in Silicon Valley. Some of these, and, and in fact, just about all the companies we'll be talking about are Silicon Valley headquartered companies. Um, these things will shut the doors very quickly too. You're you're working Monday and you're closed on Tuesday. Uh, The ones we're going to
1: talk about are much bigger than that though. I have a short story too where I went to work for a Citrix partner and it was in 99 and 2000, 2001, 9-11 happened. We grew, we got invested in, we bought a bunch of companies. I got some stock awards and options at a quarter and ended up leaving that company and those were worthless. Now, It was a great company Mm -hmm. and we had a lot of success but the The market and nine eleven created a lot of that angst that created us from reaching our full potential. But I had a I had a stack of paper with thousands of quarters on them that were worthless. No, no question. I know the feeling too.
0: Yeah, it's it's worth if you're in the stage of your life or your career, or it's just something you enjoy. uh, I, I this is a fun part of the market to be in. So. But without further ado, let's jump into the list here. And again, this is a list of 25. We're not going to hit the 25. We're just going to hit eight of them because they do have a a B2B focus that uh, we think the sellers or listeners will be interested in. Uh, The first two we'll talk about are brand new to me. I I hadn't heard of either one of these companies. So we're going to start with Snowflake. Snowflake Computing, uh, they're a cloud-based data warehouse startup. Um, This was launched by a guy I don't know that we knew, but we got emails from when we were at Microsoft, uh, Bob uh, Bob Muglia. Um, Snowflake is worth $4 billion. Uh, Bob, when he was at Microsoft, um, ran the server and tools business, if I remember right. Um, And Snowflake computing is kind of the, I don't know, I think they probably call it one of the unicorns, right? Um, To where it relies on the public cloud ecosystem. So they're using uh, Amazon S3 storage. This company was all over the Gartner Magic Quadrants, won first place in the Strata Hadoop World Startup Competition. Um, it They were kind of in like an incubation for a, for I think two years, is what I read on these guys, before they kind of opened their doors up to customers in 2015. Uh, but now they've got major customers like Adobe, uh, Capital One. Uh, they've got over 1,000 companies as part of their... Uh, arsenal of customers at this point so an uh, interesting company especially if you uh, like the cloud-based data warehouse industry
1: and as a Dell employee who sells lots of data storage and, and big data visions and understanding what a data lake would mean and what Hadoop means to businesses and everybody's trying to figure it out a company like, like Snowflake in its early days in the early days of big data making big data real meaning push-button, service-oriented, cloud-based, um, using S3 storage, which is cheap and deep. Um, they, they got a big runway uh, on a lot of companies that are going to take long, long times and years to build uh, something that's going to be competitive with it. So $4 billion is probably just the start, and I would expect to see Snowflake way up this list in future episodes if we come back to this for sure. No doubt, it's a big bet, and it will be interesting to see what they do uh, for sure.
0: And, and Bobby, I don't have anybody. We'll kind of, as we walk through these, I don't have anybody in my network that's uh, at Snowflake. But if a listener does and they want to um, connect with us on LinkedIn, that would be great because we have listeners that have reached out after the first uh, episode here to ask if there are any connections in these publicly traded companies. So if you know anyone, anyone, uh, reach out to us. All right, working backwards, so that Snowflake was number 21 on that list of 25. Again, we're focusing on business to business. Number 13 on that list is a company called Tanium. Uh, So they are a privately held also company, endpoint security and systems management company um, based in Silicon Valley, founded in 2007. It was a father and son, uh, founded this company. They were the co founders of the uh, IT management company called Big Fix, uh, which I did. I think I sold years and years ago. I sold a little bit of their product when I was at SoftChoice. But um, they have started Tanium uh, back in 2007, now uh, just over 10 years old. An evaluation on this shocked me. It's worth $6.5
1: billion, and wow. I have never come across them as a company. Have you ever encountered these guys? I'm not. I'm not. But I know. I know this business is always going to be a big business and people that can find a way to do it easier and cheaper will we'll have the opportunity to get corporate dollars for sure. and when you talk about like we always talk about value stories and how do you
0: how do you present an interesting return on investment for a company or how do you how do you help a company um, a customer a prospective customer um, achieve a return on investment security is one of those that tends to get uh, moved up in terms of priority when it comes to the board. So if you're a seller that likes to build messaging around um, the potential outcomes that you could help a company achieve, uh, security tends to have a very tangible way to measure that.
1: Yeah, so, the, so what they're doing really is out. they're taking and securing networks and endpoints, and it's not it's not necessarily antivirus and it's not necessarily intrusion detection. It's, it's kind of the whole cybersecurity and IT management as a whole. And there's a lot of players out there. There's some We talked about ServiceNow on the public list, and Titanium is, is definitely an up-and-comer. Uh, I like their bold statement at the end of their little brief that says that they're just getting started. So I have a feeling they have a lot of big ideas to go and clearly are, are not hurting with $6.5 billion in, in valuation today.
0: Yeah, and they've got 800 employees at the moment. So uh, they're still a good-sized company. Um, you you wouldn't be working for a 20 person startup you know having to move out to California this is obviously a company that's got some reach across the states next on the list this happens to be uh, this is where we start to get into companies that I'm familiar with Um, this is number 11 on that list of 25 but it's the third one we're covering this is one of my favorites, Slack Bobby
1: are you a user of Slack? are you familiar with this? I am not. I I have we've. I know we've tried. We did a few little things with it. We talked yep. on the phone more than, than we need something like Slack for us, just two, yeah. two guys running around. But uh, I, I've read about it. I've played with it some. I, I, I have not had a team that I worked on that used it that made it a valuable piece to me yet. But uh, very interesting product. I, I use it quite a bit. In
0: fact, I use it many times a day. And I thought at first it was just kind of a glorified message board. And maybe that's what it gets called sometimes. It's actually a really cool piece of technology. I, the way it's the way it's set up, and I'm, there are many dimensions to the product. So I'm underselling its its full set of capabilities. But if you've got a team, you basically you can subscribe to channels, and that channel could be your team of direct reports or peers. It could be um, a spun up new organization of 10 people. It could um, It could be a channel for bug fix issues uh, for a customer. You can basically spin up as many channels as you want. And they use the freemium uh, model to where, you know, you can have a certain number of archived messages and uh, certain types of integrations or certain quantity of users. But any, really any company using it, any business using it very quickly gets into a paid for version of it. Uh, and it's a great app. It's got great API sets, um, a very cool piece of technology. It also does, um, you can do video and phone calls from it as well. So it's kind of a messaging app, a collaboration tool, and a call app as well.
1: And I think people uh, underestimated, and I'll, I'll switch for just a second. I still am empowered by what Apple did with iMessage. And the, the the messaging chat feature is so key to all of us now. But if you can win that battle like Slack is doing in corporate America, there is no end game because we we see each other on our computers now because we're using something similar and we can type to each other because we're using something, and and that end game for Slack there there is no end game for Slack. They could own phones, voice, um, email type communication, messaging. Yep. They could own instant messaging. They could own so much if they can get that that communication track for corporate America. So seven point one billion is just the start for them as well. I have no doubt that they are going to blow it out. And I I look at them as the most obvious up-and-coming IPO in this list of people, for sure. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, there have been lots of uh,
0: discussions about that. Next on the list, this is number seven on the list, but the fourth one we're talking about, this is Lyft. Um, I've I've never used Lyft, but I've had it on my phone before. Basically, Lyft is the, uh, they probably hate being, called the competitor uh, to uber but that's what they are to me they're the, they're the challenger to uber uh, their valuation is 15.1 billion dollars so uh, Lyft uh, effectively you I think we, we think of Lyft naturally as a consumer product I need a ride to the airport I, I request a, a driver from Lyft and I'm off to the airport but what Lyft is doing and what uber are doing, are selling this as kind of a, a business service as well. So they actually have B2B salespeople that are calling into companies and setting up contracts so that employees could will start using a Lyft service um, rather than uh, calling a taxicab.
1: Yeah, Dell we use Uber, uh, so I can see where someone had to close that contract. But Lyft is, you know, I think all of these, uh, and they, I know they all hate it if we do combine them together, but the drivers are doing them themselves. They have, All of them have the same stickers, the same LED lights on their dashboards now. They're probably running multiple apps, which is probably against their policies, but um, they are doing a lot of good because I've seen the Lyft logo uh, probably none three years ago, and I see it everywhere now, so uh, kudos for them. And an, an amazing story that two big companies could disrupt an industry so much and i keep waiting for my big idea to where i can do the same thing
0: all right number uh, number 6 on their list five on our list is stripe bobby we are we are consumers of stripe we've got it set up for our, for our business like their valuation the oh nice yeah uh, so they are a 20 billion dollar company we contribute uh, 0. 0.000 something <laughs> of that 20 billion dollar valuation they have Uh, So they, I mean, simply put, they allow individuals, whether you use it kind of like a PayPal or what most companies use it for or businesses use it for or to receive payments over the internet. So they've got a lot of um, technology built in to prevent fraud. Uh, They've got a banking infrastructure set up so they can receive online payments and then forward it onto the uh, business's bank themselves. So they just, I think what, I think what, Companies like, and they tend to kind of focus more on, while they probably do have some very large customers, they're kind of known for the mid market space. Um, they've got a really robust set of APIs so that their, their technology can connect to other web platforms to make receiving payments online very simple. So if you're a company online that wants to receive payments for goods or services you may be selling, it's very easy to uh, connect uh, Stripe to that to, to help kind of flow commerce through your website. Um, no doubt. You've also got a number of tools and dashboards
1: and all that kind of good stuff when you're logged into the app. No doubt. The the Flight School, which I don't think I've ever mentioned, it, it is www.unitedflight.com. Go check us out. If you go to our stop, or shop or our store... Uh, and you bought a gift certificate or a discovery flight or anything that is a transaction through stripe which ultimately lands into our chase bank account and that to, to build that uh, as a web developer to pay someone to build that to go directly into chase would be extremely costly And each mm-hmm. transaction you charge a few points and it's it's very valuable to make that happen and it's seamless to the end user and allows us to take credit cards online so it's a great way for individual propriet sole proprietors and then uh, individual small businesses to be able to do that uh, so they're going to keep growing because i hope my transactions keep growing so they're going to keep growing as well yeah this is it's an interesting spot to be in if you're new to tech sales this
0: is a getting into one of these companies would be a really interesting first move for you you're going to get a lot of exposure a lot of at bats with prospective customers this is one i would check out if you're uh, if you're new in the industry or looking to grow
1: Another thing that you just said made me think about if, if there's listeners that are intro people to tech sales, first year reps, wannabe reps, you know, Stripe would give you, again, like Brian said, hundreds of at-bats and the, the experience to hear why a technology might not fit for a customer. There's no, no value that you can put on that, that time in the field where you hear IT people and IT managers and business people tell you why Stripe wouldn't work for them to put those feathers in your hat to say this is an experience I had and then go sell something else and reflect on those stories that you have because you had hundreds of at-bats. Some people that start in enterprise sales that have five customers, they're going to get 100 at-bats in 20 years. It's it, There's nothing more valuable than that experience. Um, I, don't, I can't replace what I had back in the early days, and I know Brian would say soft choice and the many no's he got made him the great seller that he is today. No doubt,
0: and I think the what was the book uh, Ten Thousand Meetings or something? Give give me the guy that's been in Ten Thousand Meetings versus the guy out of Harvard MBA school. No doubt. Now, now you know the Harvard MBA in fifteen years post graduation, different story. He's had Ten Thousand of something different, but Ten Thousand at bats, a thousand of anything. Um, improves you and that's that's the difference in a tenured sales sales rep that has like you said bobby seen a lot of nose and um and and then and then positions himself much better uh in the future all right the next one on our list this is number five on their list uh this is a company called uh, palantir palantir we had to look up the uh <laughs> how to how to actually uh say this one and this is a uh, this is probably a some people have heard of this they just don't know they've heard of it this is founded by peter thiel peter thiel is famously the guy that shut down gawker media um depending on how you want to look at it and talk about a book and i'll put this book in the show notes called conspiracy written by ryan holiday ryan holiday got unprecedented access to uh, how peter thiel effectively formed a law firm that was solely focused on shutting down gawker media Uh, is at least the way this book kind of um, suggests the way it went down. It is one of the most fascinating reads I've ever gone through. It's worth uh, taking a few minutes to read. And this was was founded by that same guy, Peter Thiel. And the reason that you may have heard of this company and just not known the name is because they are known for two projects uh, in particular, uh, Gotham and Metropolis. Um, These are basically counterterrorism. Uh, projects that they're working on the uh, U.S. intelligence community and the Department of Convince, uh, Defense. rather. Uh, so very interesting stuff they've got going on. They're used by hedge funds, banks, financial services firms. They've got two massive contracts. Uh, and, and basically what they're doing is, um, as, a, as a company is providing kind of analytics and services to provide kind of deep insights into massive sets of data. So you're selling a very complex product, this is probably, unless you're like um, in this industry already, you're probably not going to get in with this company because I would imagine, Bobby, their sales are massive, massive contracts and very long sell cycles.
1: I would also think you probably have to be a mathematician or some some data scientist to help tell this story. We talk about being smart and knowing your product better than everyone else. and. This is one where you would really, really have to have some industry expertise, come from the um, CIA type world or something like that to be able to tell uh, how this would provide a lot of value. But a very interesting one to watch because of Peter Thiel and his history in in tech and tech sales. Uh, So we'll watch this company grow. Lots of speculation on really what they're worth, Um, but uh, Inc. says 20.5. And I'm sure they'll be worth more in the future.
0: Yeah, it's in. If you do a Google search for uh, Peter Thiel and watch one of his interviews, uh, and after five minutes, tell me he's not the smartest guy you ever heard talk. Uh, maybe arrogant, too. That may be another way to put it, but uh, super, super interesting guy.
1: Are you arrogant if you back it all up?
0: Maybe not. Maybe not. One of the richest men in the world. Um, all right. So we've got uh, we've got two more on the list, but we've already really discussed Uber. Uber's number 1 on the list. So I'm going to I'm going to save Bobby number 2 that we're going to hit uh, as the last one. I so like Uber it. is number 1 on the list. They're worth 72 billion dollars. There's all kinds of rumors now uh, about them uh, filing for uh, IPO. They, of course, famously had a CEO, um, was kind of asked to step down as a leader, and they've really stabilized their business. At least the external view of it is they've stabilized their business over the past year as they've made a, a shift in CEOs. I, I really think uh, Travis is still is still probably running the show behind the scenes. Uh, he's, he's also a brilliant guy. Uh, some people call him a, uh, a battle time CEO. Uh, although he couldn't kind of weather that storm over the past few years. But anyhow, Uber is the, the number one rideshare company and they're investing in a ton of other stuff too. Uh, they also sell B2B contracts. So if you, uh, in fact, they, they've probably reached out to a number of our listeners
1: uh, for uh, B2B sales positions. They are just a company that continues to grow and grow and grow and we talked pre-recording time that they're doing a lot of other things and I think all these ride sharing companies are trying to branch out and do other things but um, in a recent trip to California there were scooters everywhere not a tech sales job necessarily but in the Uber app you could just turn on a scooter and ride a scooter for 15 cents a minute and uh, man they're everywhere uh, on a muscle beach where I was hanging out anyway you know yeah yeah, just shirt off riding a scooter. <laughs> Doing pull ups, one arm. <laughs> That's the know. way to do it. Yeah. So, before right, we I'll talk go... about the next one, I got to say one more time that I want everybody to go subscribe to Pigeon TV, P I J N dot TV. Enter promo code TSS when you subscribe. You'll get double the entries for their first week's drawing, which is $1,111.11. By just watching a two-minute video on a new up-and-coming tech player, Pigeon TV is the insight you need regarding emerging tech companies, along with the prize money you deserve. I love what Phil and the Pigeon TV
0: team are doing here, Bobby. It's such a cool, um, cool concept they've got, and they're they're kind of disrupting um, how. Uh, information on vendors is delivered so this is a really cool thing take 30 seconds go register you'll get a reminder when the new uh, company video is out and then like Bobby said if you enter in TSS in the promo code you'll automatically get all the entries uh, they'll be giving away uh, all kinds of cash and what they call pigeon prizes so uh, go subscribe
1: today and I'll say this if one of the Sales shows listeners wins their money. We will have you on the show and make sure you get some video time on Pigeon TV as well. We can't wait to see what Pigeon TV does over the next 12 months and 12 years and thanks for being our first sponsor. Indeed. All right, Bobby, the
0: final company on our list is uh, one I'm familiar with. We use them uh, here at Workday and they use us at Workday, a company called WeWork. Their valuation is $21.1 billion we're hitting the massive, massive valuations here now, and they're you know it's like one of these companies that again doesn't own, uh, well, I, I guess in their case they're slightly different, but they have shared workspaces for uh, startup tech companies. And if you've ever been inside one of these WeWork offices, they're so cool. Like they're they're built out the way you'd expect a modern office to be built out. You can kind of pick and choose whether you want to uh, pick out. Um, you know, conference room space, they've got coffee, good internet. And then now they're starting to offer all these other kind of extra services for companies that are subscribed for it, especially if you're a, a startup company that may not have access to things like health insurance or a big social network um, or a place to do workshops. There's all kinds of uh, cool offerings we work has, and they've got a very robust sales team that is selling spaces to even very large companies that may be expanding marketplaces. So, you know, but maybe Bobby like Dell, if Dell expands offices in Poland, as an example, where they may not have a presence, uh, WeWork would help partner with Dell to provide the kind of office space they need as they grow and, and and build out
1: their workforce. Well, in Houston, the Dell EMC offices are in a competitor of WeWork. So the, the real office space today in Houston is at a competitor of WeWork and uh, I have seen some of the WeWork places, uh, since I have a card to a competitor of that, I don't use it, but that should say that the market is massive and, and growing. And uh, I, every business, I, I, I can tell you as an old small owner of uh, Sparkon, floor space for an office is expensive. And if there's a way that I could reduce that by sharing it, because every, every office space is the same. And I made a joke this past Monday when I was in the office, They've added four more rooms in this uh, shared workspace, and the only time people are there are Mondays from about 8 a.m. to about yeah. noon. And then they all—we're field salespeople; we used to be out in the field. So I can see where WeWork, if they could supply a conference room for that Monday meeting, and then everybody could go across the town and go work in different WeWorks, Dell would pay mi- billions of dollars for that instead of having their own office space, their own contracts for AC, and and on and on and on. So. Uh, this will continue to grow. Many of you probably sit in Starbucks and see that Starbuckses are so packed that you can't get into them. Uh, WeWork is going to be the future of where we meet uh, to chat and do business, no question.
0: 5,000 employees, 280 locations, 77 cities in 23 countries. 10 million
1: um, square feet of managed space for people that are their subscribers. That's, that's a massive amount.
0: Yeah. So th- these are some cool companies. Um, again, if you've got connections to these companies, we had a couple of folks reach out after our first episode in the series uh, asking for a potential connection. And if you know some of these companies or if you know folks that are hiring in these companies, reach out to us and we can connect you with uh, listeners that may be looking for an introduction
1: into the company. No doubt. As always, average is the enemy. Average sucks. Thanks again to Pigeon TV, pij TV for being our first sponsor. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on
0: Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.